Well, hi. hi. <laughs> so a, a lot of you probably knew, maybe you didn't, but uh, dad flew out to Utah to help Seth, my younger brother, remodel his house. So he and, uh, he and Haley just closed on their house and they had a lot of remodeling to do. They had like six days to get it done. So he flew out there to help them with that. So I'm going to teach tonight and uh, Alex Peterson will be sharing with you on Sunday morning. And then I think dad'll be back the 10th is what he said, something like that. So anyway, we're just going to carry on though. Uh, Dad asked that we just keep going with what he was talking about. He does that so that we don't get do anything crazy or say anything dumb. It just keeps us right on track. So <laughs> I'm just teaching Genesis 22, but he left me with an incredible chapter, right? Genesis 22, for those of you who read the Bible a lot or you know what that is, it's, uh, it's God testing Abraham. And it's such an amazing chapter. It's super easy to teach. Uh, you could go through it and read the whole thing and then just say, look, it's a picture of Christ. And everyone would go, oh, isn't that beautiful? And that's all you have to say because it's such a profound chapter. But... Um, I read it and I prayed about it and I just wanted to, you know, hear from the Lord on on what his thoughts were for tonight specifically, you know? Um, So anyway, I'm excited to share with you some of the things that I read and some of the things the Lord's been doing in me. And I think that's always a great place to teach from is from experience and not that I have extensive experience in any area of life, but whatever, whatever God is doing in me at the moment is always a great place for me to start. So let's pray and we'll get into it. Lord Jesus, we thank you for letting us study your word tonight. God, we're just excited to learn from you, to understand more about Abraham and, and more about your promises and what you've promised to do in our lives through trials, through hard times, God. Uh, we know that you're in control. And so would you open our eyes tonight, plant these seeds deep in our hearts. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, um, I'm never in here, so I have no idea what, what dad's been pushing or what his themes have been or anything like that. But I do know what it says in chapter 21, and it talks about uh, Ishmael, Ishmael being sent away. And Sarah has already given birth to Isaac, and so now uh, Isaac has grown up a little bit. And Abraham has had however many years. Some say that Isaac is in his 40s at this time, that back then a young man was considered anybody from the age of 20 to 40. I don't know that I buy it, but then again, I don't have anything to say against it. It does say the lad and it does say a young man. So however old Isaac was, it's been many years. He's obviously old enough to go on a long trip with his father. So it kind of sets the stage for what God is about to do. And if we think back on what Abraham has gone through, God has promised him a child when he couldn't have a child. And, you know, after years and years of waiting, the thing with Hagar and Ishmael happened and that wasn't God's will. So we see Abraham has gone through some flesh and some spirit all throughout this waiting process of God's promise. And here it's been a while now. He's had the promise. I'm sure he's you know, living the life he'd always wanted to live. He has his only son. Everything's working out great. And then God kind of drops the, drops the boom on him. And we can't pinpoint how God always does things, but this does tend to be a way that God works. When we're at maybe a place in our lives where um, everything feels right, that's the perfect time for God to show us that it's always his strength and it always will be his strength. So let's read verse one. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. 
So these first two verses tell us exactly what God is doing. There's no mystery. There's no questioning the fact that God is testing Abraham. He is allowing him to go through a trial. In fact, calling him to go through a trial to reveal something in Abraham's heart and to teach Abraham things along the way. Now, there's two parts to the call or to the trial that God is going to ask Abraham to go through. The first thing he says is, take your son and go to the land of Moriah. That's part one. Part two is then offer him as a burnt offering. And the reason that I split those up is because as I read through this, I kind of see almost two steps of faith for Abraham. The first, the journey from where he's living now to the land of Moriah seems to be a pretty easy one for Abraham. God asks him to take his son there and he has strong faith the entire way. Now, Abraham has pretty strong faith throughout this entire thing, but that seems to be particularly easy. And then the second step of now offer your son, it seems to be a little more outside of Abraham's comfort zone. And, you know, a lot of times in my life, God will show me something as I read his word. Other times he'll show me something from a friend or or a brother in the Lord who will be speaking to me. Other times just his Holy Spirit will give me a word of knowledge or something about an area of my life I need to get over to him. But other times he leads me through a situation, through a physical act of obedience to prove and to bring out the faith that is in my heart. And that's what God's doing here. Scrolling down here to like the end of the teaching, we're going to kind of conclude with talking about how faith is not produced in a trial. It's tested in a trial. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith only ever comes by the word of God. And that's something that uh, is, is hard for me to wrap my mind around. When I feel like I'm going through a trial, I pride myself on the fact that my faith is being made stronger. When that's not really the case, my faith is being tested to see what worth it is and how great it is. So verse three, Abraham begins his journey. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Now, the beginning of any kind of walk of faith is always the most fun. It's almost euphoric to be able to step out in faith knowing that God is going to come through for you is, is just a rush of adrenaline as you step out in faith. It's so fun because all you can think about is what is God going to do when I'm through this trial? And I tend to kind of miss, I, I, I miss the journey, the process, and it always is a process. And so I try and get inside the mind of Abraham. And I don't know, I don't know how much we're supposed to do that as we read the Old Testament, how much we're supposed to read between the lines, but I do know that God wrote it in story form. He didn't write it like the New Testament. It's not doctrine. It's stories that we put ourselves in and we pull truth out of. And so I think it's okay to do um, sometimes. And so I kind of put myself in Abraham's shoes here. He's gotten this call from God. Okay, you want me to sacrifice my only son, Isaac? Number one, I know that you don't like human sacrifice. Number two, I know that you promised to make a great nation out of Isaac. So I conclude therefore that you're going to do something to where I don't actually have to follow through on this. So Abraham's got it all figured out. He seems confident and he's stepping out in faith. He's so excited about it. And then as the journey goes on, I just imagine the, I guess the realization of the reality of what is God actually going to do? And it might be different than Abraham expected. It has been in my life so many times. So The first thing is on the third day, he lifts his eyes and he sees that place afar off. 
I wonder if that didn't maybe bring a little reality or a little soberness. You know, when he actually sees the place that God said, this is where you're going to crucify, or not crucify, this is where you're going to kill your son. When he actually sees that place and he, he thinks, you haven't stopped me yet. You know, I, I guess I kind of figured by now I'd have found a lamb on the side of the road or something, but we're actually getting near to the mountain, which means we're actually going to have to climb it. And I wonder if things aren't setting in for Abraham a little bit, but he remains absolutely unshaken in his faith. And it's so cool to see. Verse five, and Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. That proves his faith that he knows Isaac and I will come back to you. In the New Testament and in Hebrews, it says that uh, Abraham concluded that God was gonna raise Isaac from the dead. That's how strong his faith was in God. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. Now, right here, we have to stop and, and look at the picture of Christ because it's so amazing. And I'm sure you all see it and you've heard it a thousand times in your life, but just to go over it again, because it's so beautiful. The father, Abraham, is taking his only begotten son to the same mountain where Jesus was gonna be crucified on. He lays the wood on his son's back as Jesus carried the cross on his back. He takes the knife with him and they walk up the hill together just like Jesus and the father walked up the hill. So amazing. Now, back to maybe getting inside Abraham's mind a little bit. When I read this, I, I know what I would be thinking and I would wonder if I was really supposed to take the knife. That, that would be my thought. Maybe that sounds weird, but that would be my thought is, okay, God, I'll take the, I'll take the wood you know, because you called me to sacrifice. And so I'm going to need wood for whatever sacrifice you provide. I know it's not going to be my son, but whatever you do provide, I need the wood. But am I really going to need this knife for my son? I, I could just leave that. But he has the faith to actually take the instrument of death with him because he doesn't know. He doesn't know what God's going to do. And that's amazing to me that he's willing to do that. Verse seven. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself for himself, the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. And that'd be another moment for Abraham. I, I imagine uh, me and Caleb, you know, walking up a hill and God having told me this, and he's my only son. I have a daughter, but you know, he's my only son. So it's, it's close. And if he would look at me with all of his innocence and as naive as he is at the age of three and said, dad, what are we doing? Where's the lamb? I mean, I know how this works. I've done this with you a lot of times before. Where is the lamb? And to know in my heart that he is that I would have burst into tears. Abraham holds it together because he knows and he is unshaken in his faith. He's unshaken and he's leading his son in this. And this one of the amazing things about trials that or testings, they're really the same. Trials are testings and vice versa, but therefore our good and for God's glory, our good and God's glory. And Abraham is going to be able to show his son a measure of faith that he would never have been able to without going through this. And so he's leading his son in the ways of the Lord here. Verse nine, then he came to the place of which God had told him. So he's there. He's walked all the way up this mountain, no doubt thinking anytime, God, anytime you want to tell me just kidding, or anytime you want to tell me, you know, here's, here's the lamb, here's something else for you to do. You don't actually have to murder your son. And Abraham built an altar and he placed the wood in order. I imagine his pace began to slow down as he did this. 
allowing God a little more time maybe to do something. And he began to bind Isaac. He bound his son and he laid him on the altar upon the wood. And then here's, here is the moment. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife. This is where we flip from phase one of journeying, you know, walking on that faith to now we're nearing the end of the trial, phase two. Now you actually have to give up the thing that you cherish so much. You have to take your son's life. And in trials, and you could liken this to like metal in a fire or water that's boiling. It's warm and then it gets hot, and then in a split second, it boils. It reaches a tipping point. And in the same way, when we go through trials, typically the first however long the trial is, but for the most part, it's just warming. There's actually not a whole lot of heart transformation going on. I know, I'm just kind of trying to understand the trial, but it's in those last moments when things get so bad or when God, our faith is tested to the core, that's when the real heart transformation begins to happen. And I imagine that in this time right now, as Abraham is stretching out his hand to slay his son, this is when he is truly giving his son over to God. And that's the whole point of this trial. God is not doing this to find out whether Abraham has enough faith. God knows exactly how much faith Abraham has. And God knows that he has this much faith. And so he's asking him to do something to maybe prove to himself or to just bring out that faith that is already in his heart and refine it and strengthen it and harden it. And so God is doing this for Abraham's sake, for his good and for God's glory. And so now Abraham is willing and ready to give up the thing he has waited his entire life for, his son whom God promised to make him a great nation out of, he is in a place of full surrender. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. I love how God speaks to him at the end, at the conclusion of this test of faith, the same way that he began with his name, Abraham. So he said, and he answers the same way, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its thorns, or by its horns, excuse me. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. So in, in the last moments, God comes through just like Abraham knew that he would. Now, I don't know if, if this was different than what Abraham expected or not. Maybe Abraham expected to have to go all the way up to the end. In the way that Hebrews talks about it, it seems like he expected to actually have to plunge the knife into his son. But it's an amazing lesson for me. And as I read it, I'm always convicted to not have expectations of God's salvation in your life. We, uh, we had a songwriting thing here at the church a while back and some of the musicians here were just writing some things. And one of the things we were talking about is as we listen to a lot of modern worship music, um, there's a lot of songs that are about victory, you know, like elevation song. I'm going to see a victory. The battle belongs to the Lord. God will come through. You'll do it again. All these songs about his victories. And in my heart anyway, it almost creates a sense of entitlement um, to God coming through for us. God will always come through for us, but what's for our good isn't always what we had in mind. It's not usually never what I had in mind. I can kind of plan on, well, I'm going to step out in faith and then God's going to catch me and it's going to be great. And I forget the falling part, you know, where it's like, 
a long, long time of heating up and warming up like we talked until finally these last moments where I'm like, okay, God, I don't really know if you are going to come through. And in that moment, that's when the faith is actually tested. Anybody, I guess we all have a different comfort zone. You know, some of us get the flu and it's like, that's a trial and we're praying and we're trying to get better. Others of us, that's well within our comfort zone as far as our faith goes. And it doesn't really test us. For those people, maybe God allows something greater or something deeper. Cancer maybe gets them outside of their comfort zone and causes them to truly rely on the Lord, reveals that faith that's already in their heart. Others give their lives for the Lord. Others are martyrs. And so we all have these different comfort zones, and God is always trying to get us outside of those in our walk of faith. And so our expectations are usually within our comfort zone. I think, well, here's how far I'm willing to go for God. Here's how far I'm willing to let myself fall before I begin to doubt. And God, every single time, lets me go about four feet past that mark. Whatever that is, whatever in my mind, I say, this is it. You know, I'll, I'll let all this happen. But after this, I just don't know anymore. God's going to push me past that point every time because he's revealing things. He knows you have greater faith than that. I know you do. You love me. So let's just push it a little further and I will show you what my faith looks like or what your faith looks like. And we're going to read that in James here as we finish up. So God stops him and says, don't kill your son. Uh, 14. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand, which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And I love that God, after everything's over, I'm sure Abraham is so happy right now. He's, he's relieved of all the pressure that he was under, but God takes the time to reaffirm to him the promise that he made to him at the start. God has given Abraham this promise time and time again, reassuring him, don't worry, I'm not going to call Ishmael. I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a son. And now he finishes this trial, this, this hard time for Abraham by reaffirming it to him again. But he ends it a little bit differently than he has before. He says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, not because of Isaac, but because you have obeyed my voice. And I wonder if maybe that wasn't part of God's reasoning for this trial is that maybe Abraham had thought, now I have my son. Now it's possible for me to be a great nation. And maybe God wanted to show him that it's not by Isaac. It's because you've obeyed. That's the reason I chose you. That's the reason I gave you Isaac. That's the reason I've come through for you time and time again. And I've provided for you because you obey my voice. And that's really the point of anything that we go through is to learn to obey the voice of God, which requires the faith that we have. And that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I want to turn, well, before that, I've been saying trials and, and testing times are for our good and his glory. And I was just thinking about it as I was just kind of thinking about things I've gone through, things I've watched other people go through. And, you know, there's 
almost an endless amount of blessings that come with hard times, with trials. There's really nothing bad about them besides a little bit of pain. But through trials, our faith is tested. Our flesh is torn down. Our spirit is built up. Uh, We have a reason to thank God. We have a reason to give testimony about what he's done in our lives. There are absolutely endless blessings. And Andrew and I were talking about it today uh, as I was studying this. And we were we were just kind of going back and forth and, and digging deeper into this idea. And we were saying, you know, it's almost as if the trial is the blessing. That's the blessed time of your life. It's after the trial that's hard. It's after that, that you have to stay close to God. That the things that you learned, the faith that was tested, that was made alive by the trial, that's what is now required to be maintained. But the trial, that's a blessing. It's almost like God says here, outside of your control and outside of your will, I'm going to give you something that makes you draw near to me as a father would to a, to a child say here, you don't have a choice, but I want you to go through this because you're going to realize something. And it's such a blessing that he does that. And he takes us and says, here, here's how much faith you have. Here's how much you love me. And you'll prove it to yourself and you'll strengthen it and refine it. And then when you're done, it's like, okay, now you have the choice of what you're going to do next. When, When we discipline Caleb, it's the same way. He doesn't know it, but that is the most blessed time of his life because we are taking the initiative to say, Caleb, you did the wrong thing. You're going to receive punishment for it. And now we have instilled something in you. Now comes the hard part. Now, next time you have to do the right thing. Or now from here on out, you have the choice. Right now, I'm doing what you don't want me to do. It's hard, it's painful, but it is the biggest blessing for you. And it's the same way with God. You know, not that trials are always punishments, but in the same way, he does it to us outside of our control to show us something. Now, James chapter one, verse two, James is awesome. It talks a lot about patience. It talks a lot about trials. And I wanted to talk really quick about the patience that comes from going into trial and what Abraham must have gone through. Abraham was patient for a long time, waiting for his son, Isaac. And I don't know how long this journey was, a few days probably, but that whole time he had to have patience. Let it happen. Let it work itself out. So James chapter one, verse two through four, my brother encountered all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So there we see again, the trial doesn't produce the faith. It tests the faith and produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Another word for perfect would be mature. And that's what I want to be a mature Christian. But he says, brother, encounter all joy because like we just talked about, there is nothing bad about it. It is only for your good. God's not doing it for himself. He's doing it for you and so that you can proclaim his goodness afterward. So count it all joy when you fall into various trials and let that testing of your faith produce patience. Now, we talked a little bit about where does the faith come from? And this is, I'm stealing this right from David Guzik, but it was so profound and I just loved it. Hebrew or Romans, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. It's the verse that I, I said earlier, but we'll just read it. Romans 10, 17 says, my goodness, there we go. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
in the times when maybe we don't feel like we're on unsteady ground, the years from Isaac being born to Abraham having to nearly sacrifice him, that was the time for Abraham to build his faith. Not, not during the walk up to the mountain, but during those years of peace, during those years of being in his comfort zone, those are times to build our faith. Sometimes I pray, Lord, get me outside my comfort zone. I, I don't ever want to be in my comfort zone. I, I want to be always outside. I want to always be digging deeper. And that's not, that's not a good prayer because it's when God allows us to be in our comfort zone that the faith is built, that we can read God's word and we can understand other things about him, not just, oh Lord, please help me to get through this. Help me to get through this. But those are the times when we build our faith. And then James, again, we'll go back to James real quick. This is where he finishes up with talking about uh, faith producing and being made alive by the actual act of obeying God's voice and walking through the trial. James chapter two, verse 17 says, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works is dead. So faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, but at that point, it's just dead faith. It's knowledge. It's an understanding. It's a, it's a level. It's a deepness with the Lord, but it's dead. But some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. The demons have faith. They believe that God is who he is. They believe he'll come through. That's why Jesus, or Satan said to Jesus, cast yourself down and the angels will bear you up. He had faith in God's word and that God would save Jesus but he had no works. It's dead. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by his works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by his works, faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works, not only by faith. And then he goes on to give some more examples. I just thought that was so neat. He even references Abraham's specific act of obedience, that he had the faith to take Isaac and nearly sacrifice him. And by that action, seeing it all the way through, his faith was made alive by the work that he did. And so this is an encouraging thing to me as I read through this, because I know that when God allows me to go through something, he is not trying to rob me of something I take pleasure in. I've heard the analogy, and it's always spoken to me that whatever you have your hand closed on. Whatever's inside your hand, God can't use because you are holding it. And only when you open your hand is God able to take whatever that is, whether it's money, whether it's a talent, whatever God has given you, only when you open your hand and you let it go, you give it to him that he's actually able to do that and use it. In the same way, when Abraham took Isaac up, Abraham had Isaac he loved Isaac. He knew that Isaac was his promised son, but it was when Abraham was willing to say, okay, God, I open my hands up. I let him go. If this is what you want, if this is how I obey you, then I will willingly do it. And that was when God was then able to say, okay, because you have obeyed my voice, now I will make you a great nation. 
Sometimes I get the idea, God just wants me to let go of everything that I hold dear. All these things that I love, I'm like, well, Lord, I want to, there's so many examples for me. Like music is a huge example for me. It's something I'm really passionate about, something I enjoy. Sometimes I hold it tightly and I think, okay, God, I know you've called me to use this. And so I'm just going to use it. But letting go of it hurts me because it means that God can use it in whatever way he wants to, not my plans, not my expectations like we talked about. But I always have to remind myself that God is not asking me to let go of something, to go through a trial, to give something up because I don't deserve it or because somehow I'm, you know, unable to use it, but it's for my own good because I could never use it in the way that God would want me to use it. I could never use it to its full potential. I could never be who God wanted me to be unless I had let go of those things, just like Abraham let go of his son Isaac and gave him up to the Lord. So God does these things for our good and for his glory. All right, let's just finish those last few verses here. I think we're going to be a little bit early. I don't think it'll be too bad though. Finish these last few verses here in Genesis 22, starting in verse 19. So Abraham returned to his young men. What a testimony to them too, right? This is a good story to tell. I'm sure it strengthened the faith of all those around him. And they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Now it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham saying, Indeed, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. Huz, his firstborn, and Buzz, his brother. Kemuel, the father of Aram. Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jadlaf and Bethuel, and Bethuel begot Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. His concubine, whose name was Remua, also bore Teba, Gama, Thahash, and Mekah. So, quick little genealogy there at the end. No relevance to what we're talking about, but got to finish the chapter, right? So, dad could start back up in 23. So, in conclusion then, Wrapping up all the things that I've learned and all the things that I just found were interesting. Number one, that God likes to get us a little bit out of our comfort zone because that's the place where the true testing takes place. That's the area where our hearts are actually transformed, where we're strengthened. Number two, God does these things for our good, for his glory. And number three, our faith is tested during trials and built up in the times in between if we're faithful, if we're faithful to stay in his word I read a, uh, I didn't read, but when I was leading worship at Grace last week down in St. Joe, um, Pastor Daryl came out and he read a quote from uh, Tozer, and Tozer's amazing. But the quote was saying, you don't know a man if his circumstance keeps him from doing something godly. You know a man if his choice keeps him from doing something godly. So the examples they gave were, if you notice that a man is not at church on Sunday, and you hear that he's in the hospital because he had a broken leg, that doesn't tell you very much about the man. If, however, a man is not at church on Sunday and you hear that he was at the golf course that morning, that tells you a far greater, you know, tells you a lot more about the man because when we're forced into situations, well, there we are. When we choose situations in the same way, when we're in trials, we're forced to think about God. We're forced to think about the things of the Lord and how we're going to get out in his faithfulness. But when we're not, that's when we have the choice to think about whatever we will. And Tozer had an amazing quote, and I'm not going to say it right, but he basically said, 
when the cares of life lift, when you aren't forced to think about work, money, family issues, the things that are going on in your life, when those things lift and you are left with just your thoughts and you're free to choose whatever you want to think about, whatever you're thinking about at that time is the person that you really are. And I thought that was really, really profound. And it spoke to me because I think, yeah, Sometimes I actually pray, God, give me something to do so that I can think about godly things. Give me some work to do at church or give me something that I can draw my attention to to get away from my flesh. But that's easy. It's easy to be occupied with something else. But when you're left, just you and the word of God and you have the option to open it or not open it, when the trials aren't crazy around your life, when things are normal, that's when you know who you really are. And that's the true test of time to build our faith. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are, God. And Lord, we just pray that these things would stick in our hearts, God. We pray that tonight our faith was built, strengthened, increased, God, and we know that whatever lies ahead, um, we pray that you would carry us through it. We know that you will. We know that you give us trials in proportion to our faith. Whatever you let come upon us, you know that we have enough faith to bear it, and so we thank you for that, and we take that as encouragement, God. We hold on to your promises And Jesus, we love you. Help us to choose always you first, to read your word, to stay in prayer, to stay in fellowship. So God, we just ask these things in your name. Amen.